Hello, everyone, and welcome to Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Holly Goodman, shareholder at Gunster. Here on Employment Matters, we bring you updates from around the world as we dial in our local ELA lawyers. These good folks practice on the ground in jurisdictions around the globe, working daily to help their clients move through these difficult times. Today, we are going to be chatting with Robert Holtzman, partner at Kramer Levin in New York City, about the vaccine mandate in New York City. Thanks for joining us, Robert. How are you today? I'm doing great, Holly. Thanks for having me. Great. So we're hearing that New York City has instituted the strictest vaccine mandate in the country. Can you tell us about that? That's exactly right, Holly. The new order went into effect on December 27th, so it is in effect right now, and it applies to all private sector businesses. Very simply, all workers are required to be vaccinated unless they have been granted a reasonable accommodation. There is no testing option available. So unlike, for example, the OSHA ETS that many employers in other parts of the United States are familiar with and are wondering whether it's going to come into effect on January 10th, there is no test out option available under the New York City law. It applies to all workplaces where work is performed in the presence of either another worker or a member of the public. And it does not apply to individuals who work remotely from their own home. So purely remote workers do not need to comply with this. Further, it applies to every type of worker. So it's not just employees, but also independent contractors, interns, and volunteers. So it's really a very, very broad mandate. There were some questions when it came into effect how long it might be in place because it was announced by Mayor Bill de Blasio, who leaves office at the end of the year, December 31st, and turns the reins over to a new mayor, Mayor Eric Adams. Mayor Adams or Mayor-elect Adams hadn't made any comment about it until December 30th. So just before his administration took over, he made an announcement that indeed he intends to continue to enforce this new order once his administration takes office on January 1st. That is certainly expansive, Robert. And I think that there's there's a few different moving parts there that I think we really need to dig into for New York City-based employers. And I think the first question that I have for you is what does vaccinated mean in New York City? Because now we have all of the booster shots that are available. So in New York City, are boosters required? So no, boosters are not required. The law doesn't even reference boosters in any way. So at this point, boosters are not part of the conversation in terms of compliance with this law. In fact, it doesn't even use the term fully vaccinated. The standard is a bit different in New York City. As of right now, an employee is sufficiently vaccinated for purposes of this law if they have had at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. So, for example, an individual who had one dose of the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine who needs to have that second dose in order to be considered to be fully vaccinated under, for example, the OSHA ETS, that is not the case with respect to the New York law. So they must get that second shot within 45 days after December 27th. But for now, they can continue coming into the office with just that one shot. An important thing to understand in terms of employer requirements here is that they're required to actually see and maintain documentary proof of the fact that someone is vaccinated. Getting an attestation or representation from an employee is not sufficient. They need to actually see the proof. And so for those employees who might need a reasonable accommodation, I know that under the OSHA ETS and under most state laws, there's going to be requirements under federal law for 
disability accommodations, religious accommodations. Under the New York City law, what types of reasonable accommodations are available? So as you mentioned, Holly, under federal law, certainly there is a requirement that the government mandate allow for religious and medical accommodations. It goes further, however, in that it specifically states that it excludes personal, political, or philosophical preferences and gives a few examples. So for example, if someone objects to becoming vaccinated because, and these are quotes from the guidance, the government should not force people to get vaccines or interfere with medical decisions, or the vaccine is not safe or it's ineffective, or COVID is a hoax, or any other expression of personal, political, or philosophical belief. There's actually a questionnaire that you can use to go through an accommodation request, and all of those are reasons to deny a request for an accommodation. The guidance also reflects a certain suspicion about some of the religious-based exemption requests that many employers have been seeing. So for example, it specifically states that form letters from clergy that do not have a personal relationship with the individual worker are not persuasive. And certainly I know many of my clients have been seeing those that are available on the internet or by joining a congregation that you otherwise have nothing to do with. The guidance also says that if the individual objects because vaccines were developed using fetal cell lines, that they're to be asked certain questions, including whether they use other commonly used medications that also were developed in that manner, such as ibuprofen and Tylenol. So I think the guidance is suggesting some questioning of individuals who are claiming religious-based exemptions. I think there's some danger in that for employers as to whether or not having that, that same concern and really digging in deeply to, to someone's religiously-based motivations is appropriate under federal law. So that's going to play out over time. And that's precisely what went into my mind when you just started talking about these differences. So what would be the penalties for noncompliance under the state law so that businesses can weigh whether they want to follow the Title VII explanations of religious accommodations versus the more restrictive New York City law? The penalties for noncompliance start at $1,000 and then go up from there without definition of where they go from there. I think that this particular issue is a relatively low risk issue. I think it would be surprising if the city enforcement mechanisms reach individual decisions about medical accommodations. I think it's far more likely that they're going to be concerned with whether there is a vaccine mandate in place, whether an employer is keeping the appropriate documentation and can produce that documentation when asked. And as part of the increasing web of these different laws that employers have to comply with, I also understand that New York State has a separate and different vaccine mandate. So how do those two laws interact, New York State and New York City's vaccine mandates interact? That's exactly right, Holly. It's certainly complicated for for employers in New York City to have, have overlapping mandates they have to be concerned about. So the state's mandate is quite different from New York City's. The state's mandate is a vaccine or a mask mandate instead, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. The state mandate requires that All individuals wear a mask in any public space, and public space is very, very broadly defined. It's any indoor space that is not a private residence, and therefore it applies to offices and other workplaces as well, unless the public space requires proof of vaccination as a condition of entry. So 
if you don't want to have to require everyone in the space to wear masks, then you must check and require that all of the individuals in the space are vaccinated. Now, given the outbreaks in New York, New York is, I think, the worst in the nation right now. We have an enormous number of positive COVID tests, an enormous number of increase in individuals in hospitals. And we seem to be the epicenter of the Omicron variant at the moment. Most employers have instituted masking requirements anyway, even if every individual is is vaccinated. But that's not true throughout New York State, certainly. So you have to comply with both of these requirements. In New York City, it doesn't really matter because everybody has to be vaccinated other than the accommodations that may be granted for religious or medical accommodations. However, the state's law will kick in at that point so that if you have individuals who've been granted reasonable accommodations and therefore can enter the workplace without having been vaccinated, then means that everyone in the workplace must wear masks. That's really interesting. And I suppose that I'm probably going to hear something similar from you on the next point here, but the OSHA ETS is also still lurking out there pending the outcome of oral arguments in front of the Supreme Court on January 7th. But how do the OSHA ETS and New York City laws impact employers when the OSHA ETS comes into effect? So assuming it does, in fact, come into effect, it's a little bit ambiguous. The New York City law specifically says it does not apply to workplaces that are covered by another mandate, but it has to be another mandate that provides at least the same protection. And the OSHA ETS does not provide the same level of protection when it comes to vaccinations, right? Because the New York City mandate, again, is vaccinate or don't come into the space as opposed to vaccinate or test, which is permitted under the OSHA ETS. So the New York City rule will continue to apply for those employers who are subject to the OSHA ETS. Now, the government contractor mandate, if the current stay that's in place is vacated and it eventually comes into force, would be different because that does not provide for a test out option. And therefore, the New York City law would defer to the governmental contractor law. That's interesting. So with all these varying laws out there and with this new extensive law in New York City, what key takeaways would you like to share with businesses who employ individuals in New York City? Well, I think for those employers that have New York City workplaces, as a general rule, all workers entering the workplace must be vaccinated now unless they have been granted or have requested a reasonable accommodation. If the reasonable accommodation allows an unvaccinated worker into the workplace, then all workers must wear masks while they're in the workplace. And during the period after someone requests a reasonable accommodation and a determination is made, you can continue to allow that individual to come into the workplace right now, provided that you're making reasonably prompt decisions and that appropriate care is taken. So for example, we would certainly recommend that that person remain masked during the period of time that they're coming to the office. If you're in New York State, but not in New York City, then the general rule is that you can decide between requiring having only vaccinated people in the workplace or allowing in people who are not vaccinated, but then everyone needs to wear a face cover. Employers subject to the ETS may ask workers to provide a weekly proof of a negative test in lieu of receiving a vaccine, but in that case, all workers will be required to be masked under the New York state law. And of course, all employers should keep an eye on the developments with respect to the OSHA ETS and the pending determination by the Supreme Court 
as well as what may happen with respect to their government contractor mandate. Well, this is certainly a complicated area of law for employers, and we know these issues continue to evolve. Robert, thanks so much for taking the time to discuss these issues with us and for joining us on the program. Thanks for having me, Holly. For our listeners, if you'd like to connect with Robert, please click on his bio in the description of this podcast. You can also search the ELA website at ela.law to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Holly Goodman. Thanks so much for listening.